Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to week number two of this seven-part series that we have called The Darkest Hour, which is not about winters in Buffalo. For some reason, it feels like this service is quite a bit more full than the first service was, and I don't know if that has anything to do with that y'all lost an hour of sleep last night, but I'm so glad that you've decided to come to church and spend it with us, uh, and uh, uh, we are looking at the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. The series is based on a book that was written about 20 years ago by a pastor by the name of Jack Hayford, which was later turned into a series where, you know, um, Jesus had a bad day. You know, it was the bad day to end all bad days as he, you know, went through the Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayal, the arrest, the trial, you know, the beatings, the scourging, and the crucifixion. And so those were certainly his darkest hours. And we're looking at the seven statements that you can find in the four gospels that Jesus made from the cross and using them as life lessons for us to learn how to get through our darkest hours. We want to find hope when life hurts by taking a cue from what Jesus said during his darkest hours. And I think that uh, we're going to find some wisdom from Jesus' words here today. Before I go any further, if you're new here, let me just be the second person to welcome you today. My name is Pete. I have the absolute joy and privilege of serving as the lead pastor here and just excited to see what God is doing in our midst as lives are being changed. Because here's one thing I know about everyone here today and really everyone that's alive on planet earth, which is we've all gone through dark seasons, amen? Like we've all gone through trials, temptations. We've all gone through this dark night of the soul where we question whether God is real, if he cares about what we're going through. And Jesus himself was all God, yes, but he was also all man. And as a man, he experienced all of the same things that we do. He went through betrayal. He went through loss. He experienced all of the things that we experience as humans. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews said. That's one of the reasons why Jesus went through everything that we go through. Because as it says, we wouldn't have a high priest who was unable to relate with us in our weakness. In fact, Eugene Peterson phrases it this way in the message paraphrase. He says, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race that we're in. And I love that it says that because Jesus ran the same race that we did, that we're running right now. We're all going through this life. We're trying to make it to the end. We're trying to be faithful. We're trying to do the right things. And Jesus began and finished this race called life. And because his experience is the same as our experience, we're going to study how he did it. That's what we're trying to do in this seven-week series. We're going to study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, that was the prize. He kept his eyes on the prize. Because of that, he could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. Now, last week, we looked at the first statement that Jesus made from the cross, which happened pretty quickly after the cross was dropped into the ground as people are hurling insults at him. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth are words of forgiveness when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And from that, we learned the lesson that when we're in our darkest hours, the very first thing that we probably need to do is forgive everyone who's ever tried to hurt us, to forgive everyone who's hurt us. Now, I've, I received a lot of feedback this week 
from people who were really impacted and affected by that message and how that's been one of the areas of difficulty for them trying to forgive people who deeply wounded them because we learned, we know that forgiveness isn't always easy. The deeper the wound, the deeper the hurt, the harder it is to forgive someone who maybe hasn't asked for forgiveness yet or we feel doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But I received uh, an email this week from a woman in our church named Nancy Murphy who serves on our dream team. And she sent me this email about how this message impacted her. And I wanted to share it with all of you. I've got a picture I want to put on the screen so you can see who she is. That's Nancy there on the left and her son, Will, who she writes about today. On December 15th, she says, 2017, our son was brutally assaulted at work, sustaining multiple head fractures and a serious concussion. By the grace of God, he lived, but his life is forever changed. The days that followed were filled with fear, uncertainty, and yes, even hate for the person who could have so violently harmed our dear son. After months in our cumbersome legal system, the person who assaulted our son was sent to prison for attempted murder. But somehow that was still not enough for me. I simply couldn't rid my heart of the ill will I had for our son's attacker. After hearing your message last week on forgiveness, I found myself digging deep in an attempt to forgive the man who nearly killed our son. All week long, I've prayed with all my heart for forgiveness. Was what happened to our son fair? No. But through deep prayer, I'm beginning to know that forgiveness isn't fair, but it is the only way. After all, if Jesus could withstand the brutal treatment at the hands of both friends and foe, I should be able to, at the very least, give my best effort to forgive because the forgiven forgive. I know there will be times where I may still lapse into a place of anger and unforgiveness, but with the Holy Spirit guiding my steps, I am confident that I will ultimately rise above it and forgive with all my heart. Now I'm praying that the person who attacked our son and sits in prison will find forgiveness and the same peace that I am finally realizing for it is truly the most wonderful gift of all. Isn't that a powerful testimony? Listen, if you missed that message, yeah. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing that story with us. If you missed that message, you can find it on our website. Listen to the podcast. It's powerful. It's not impossible to forgive those who've hurt us. But today we're going to look at the second statement that Jesus made from the cross. And we don't know how much time elapsed from the time he said, Father, forgive them, to the time he says what we're about to look at. But we know when, when people think about the, the, the crucifixion, if you've watched a movie about the crucifixion, you know that you see three crosses on a hill, right? That's because Jesus was crucified between two other criminals. And we get to peek in on a conversation that takes place between the three of them. There are two people who are experiencing a bad day just like Jesus did. Two other people who are in their darkest hours, hours before death, just like Jesus is. And as they're having this conversation, I want to peek in on it, picking up in verse 39 of Luke chapter 23, just a couple verses after we left off last week. When one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus, just like the people who were on the ground, you know, mocking Jesus. And this criminal says, aren't you the Messiah? If you are, why don't you save yourself and us? Get us down from here. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. And I highlighted those words, remember me, because I think there's a lot of people around us who are going through the same things we're going through who just need help. There are a lot of people around us who are hurting right now that are saying, hey, would you remember me? Please don't forget about me. I'm going through what you're going through. Remember me. And Jesus turns to him and says this second statement. Verse 43, truly, I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. And I love this statement because it's such a perfect picture of God's grace, his unmerited, unearned, unconditional favor. The thief had done nothing to deserve this statement, this invitation to be with Jesus in paradise. And yet God, in the form of his son Jesus, extends forgiveness and says, today you're gonna be with me in heaven. It shows you that even in his darkest hour, Jesus was still offering forgiveness and salvation to those who were hurting. And it proves that it's never too late to turn to God, even on your deathbed. It's never too late to turn to God. It's important to note as we look at this scene and this interchange that this thief was experiencing the exact same thing that Jesus was. I don't want you to miss that today. And some would think that, you know, Jesus was in no position to help someone, right? He's at the end of his life. He's hanging there, he's bleeding, he's dying. And yet, there he is in the midst of his own struggle, aware of a fellow struggler next to him. And I think there's something we can learn from Jesus' example here. He remained available to the needs of others even while in his darkest hours. And in this statement that we see on the screen here, we find our second lesson that we can apply to our lives to help make it through our darkest hours, which is this. We need to help others who are experiencing the same struggle we are. We need to help others who are experiencing your same struggle. I'm telling you, this is such a powerful principle. This lesson, if you would apply it to your lives, I dare you to try this. When you're going through a difficult time, instead of focusing on your own pain and your own problems, find someone else who's struggling and try to help them. Now, today I want to give you three things that if you would do this, if you will help others who are experiencing your same struggle, three things that will happen to you if you do that. And number one is it will distract you from your own needs. Helping others will distract you from your own needs. This is such a powerful principle. Pastor Craig, the founding pastor here and my spiritual mentor, used to always say this. I remember him saying it to me personally, and he would share this often in his sermons when he would say, the best way to forget about your own problems is to help other people with theirs. When you're going through a difficult time, instead of focusing on all that you're going through, try to shift your focus and find someone around you who's struggling and help them. Because when you are busy helping other people, you tend to forget about what you're going through. And there are so many examples of this. I tried to think of a story that I could use to illustrate this and none do it better than some of you know who Nicole Lee is in our church. She serves on the dream team here. And eight months ago, she was in a coma as a result of an overdose to fentanyl. Doctors didn't know if she was gonna make it. She was intubated three times while in a coma 
And because of the intubation, she received some scarring in her vocal cords. And to this day, she has a trach and it is very difficult for her to speak. I mean, just air comes out. And so if anyone could use the excuse of the difficulties that they're going through, it would be Nicole. And yet here she is because God transformed her life. She gave her life to Jesus Christ in this place. And now she's here. Someone would think, you know, if you can't really even speak that well, you certainly wouldn't serve in guest services, but not Nicole. She's here every single Sunday setting the table so that people who are going through their darkest hours can come in and find the same hope and healing and salvation that she found in Jesus Christ. When you help others, you forget about, it distracts you from your own needs. The other thing that it does is it will also help you find the solution a lot of times. Helps you find the solution. Have you ever noticed how when you're in the midst of your darkest hours, when you're in the midst of a, of a problem or, or pain, how blind you are sometimes what to do about it? right? And yet when your friends or someone you're close to is going through a difficult season, all of a sudden you become like the world's best counselor, right? You're like, can't you see it's easy? Like just do this, this, and this, and then you'll be all set. But when you're in the midst of it, it's like, man, I, I just don't know what to do. That's because our own pain sometimes blinds us to what the solution is. It's amazing to me how often I can counsel people who will call up and request a meeting because their marriage is struggling. And I can sit there and very confidently share with them some things that they should do to improve their marriage. Or I can stand on the stage and preach a great message on how to have a great marriage. And yet when Kelly and I are in the midst of, you know, a rough patch or going through a hard time, I can be completely lost when it comes to knowing what to do to how to get past this particular challenge that we're in the midst of. But when you help others you often become aware of the solution. That's why it's so important that we don't live our lives just focused on ourselves. When you become intentional about being focused on others and you're helping other people try to get through their darkest hours, all of a sudden you listen to your own advice and you're like, man, that's really good. I can apply that to my situation. So helping others who are experiencing your same struggle also helps you to find the solution. The third thing it does is it helps you to keep everything in perspective. Helps you to put things into perspective because when you're going through a difficult time, how many of you know you usually think, man, is this ever gonna end, right? And you think that no one else could possibly understand what you're going through. Nobody knows <laughs> the trouble I've seen. And you think it's just like, it's never gonna end and your pain feels all-encompassing but when you help other people in their struggle, it helps you to gain a perspective that you realize, man, maybe this isn't all that there is. Because the truth is, it's not as bad as we think it is. And we're a whole lot more blessed than we even realize. And if you've forgotten that, then perhaps you should maybe go on a short-term missions trip to gain some perspective on what people in other parts of the world have to face. It puts our first world problems into perspective a lot of times. I remember when I was in middle school, seventh grade, I went on a missions trip with my youth group to Tijuana, Mexico. We lived in California at the time and we drove down the coast and Tijuana was right across the California-Mexico border. And I remember to this day, almost 30 years later, the impact of seeing people living in the garbage dumps 
and how that changed my perspective on my problems. I remember the day we drove into the, the garbage dump and there was a whole city living in the garbage dump, this road that wound through hills and mountains of garbage as I saw families living in refrigerator boxes. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, man, and I complain about what I have to eat for lunch or about how, I don't know, I wish I had my own room or whatever it is we complain about. Listen, I'm not trying to minimize the, the problems that we face, but we just had a couple of people in our church who just got back a couple weeks ago from a short-term missions trip. One of our students, Izzy Atwood, went on a missions trip and uh, Bonnie Lund also went to El Salvador, I believe. And I was talking to Bonnie a couple of weeks ago during our meet and greet, and she was sharing with me the biggest impact on her was how her perspective changed by seeing other people who are facing problems far more serious than our own. So helping others helps you to keep things into perspective. Again, I'm not trying to suggest that what you're going through isn't painful. I'm not saying that it's not hard. But the truth is, if you're sitting here in this air-conditioned room, in this free country, you're better off than most. Amen? That perspective is so important. When you have the perspective to help a fellow struggler in the midst of your own pain, I want you to understand that God meets you there. And I'll show it to you in Scripture because God, 700 years before Jesus Christ arrived on the scene, spoke through the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah writes in Isaiah 58, 10, that if you spend yourselves, this is God speaking through Isaiah, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, now notice this, it doesn't just help them, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your darkest hour all of a sudden won't seem so dark if you spend yourself on behalf of others. And your night, your darkest hour, will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Isn't that beautiful? I want that promise to apply to my own life. I want to be like a well-watered garden whose waters never fail. But that only will apply to me if I give myself, if I spend myself on behalf of others. If I meet the needs of the oppressed and the needy, then my darkest hour all of a sudden becomes like the noonday sun. This is a biblical principle I want you guys to understand that even though we have need, listen, we still go through dark hours. We still have needs, but in spite of our needs, we're gonna help others first. And when we do, God takes up our case. He meets our needs. God likes it when we spend our lives on behalf of others. So if you're in a dark hour here today as your pastor, I can't think of a better way to help you than to help you help others. To help you have that perspective that instead of focusing on your own struggle, that you would look outward and become others focused to help you help others. Because if you can gain that perspective It'll, it'll change your mind on the reason you're going through what you're going through. It'll give you purpose for your pain. If you can recognize that by going through this, it gives you the ability to relate with other people who are in the same struggle as you are. 
which is one of the reasons we constantly encourage all of you to take that step and attend Growth Path and serve on the dream team. Is it because we need more volunteers? Not really. I mean, yeah, we're growing as a church and and we want to make sure that as people come, we have enough people to make sure that the table has been set for them and they get to experience the love of Jesus in an excellent environment where their defenses can be drawn down. But the real reason we encourage you to serve on the dream team is not because we need you as much as we know that when you serve, your faith grows. It's one of the ways we become more like Jesus who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so if you're someone here today who's enjoyed what you've experienced here, but you've not yet taken that step, then I'm, as your pastor, unapologetically gonna continue to encourage you to maybe pray about filling out this card and letting us know that you wanna take that step, that you wanna get off the bench and into the game and serve on a ministry team. Because one of our values here at this church, we're all about loving and serving others with intentionality. See, it's not just going to happen on accident. As the church, we've got to be intentional about being someone who doesn't just come to church to get, but I'm going to come to church to give what he's given me so that other people can experience the same hope, the same acceptance, the same love that I've experienced the way Jesus has changed my life. I like the way Eugene Peterson writes the words of Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians. Again, this is in the message paraphrase. Paul says it this way. God comes alongside of us when we go through hard times. I love knowing that as I'm going through a hard time, the Holy Spirit is right there with me. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times. Why? so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Paul is saying the purpose of your darkest hours is to help other people with theirs. He goes on to say, when we suffer for Jesus, it works out for your healing and salvation. Your hard times are also our hard times. And when we see that you're just as willing to endure the hard times. I once heard a guy by the name of Graham Cook say that, you know, we like to, you know, say that there are good days and bad days, but he says, you know, every day is a day of grace. Some days God gives you grace to enjoy the season you're in. Other days he gives you grace to endure the season you're in. And Paul says here, when we see that you're just as willing to endure the hard times as you are to enjoy the good times, we know that you are going to make it, no doubt about it. Life Church Buffalo, can I tell you the same thing that the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians? You are going to make it. This too shall pass. If you will spend your life on behalf of others, if you will come alongside others in their distress, in their darkest hours, you are going to make it. So how do we do this? As you know, I'm someone who is really big on practical application. You've heard me say before that information without application will not lead to transformation. I don't want you to just hear a great message and then leave unchanged. I want you to leave here knowing how you can apply this to your life. And so I heard Pastor Chris Hodges from Church of the Highlands kind of dissect this second statement that Jesus made from the cross into three different sections. And I wanna give you those three things today as a way to help you know how you can help others who are experiencing your same struggle. And the first 
part is that we offer them stability. People who are going through a dark season, you offer them stability. Jesus said the first part of it, and I like the way it says it in the New King James Version, assuredly, I say to you, assuredly, people in pain need something solid to stand on. Because how many of you know when you're in a dark hour, everything in life just all of a sudden seems to be unsteady. Everything in life is on shaky ground. You're not sure, you know, what you can depend on, what's going to change, when's the next shoe going to drop. People in pain need something stable to stand on. And amidst all the changes in life, we need to let them know that there is one thing that never changes. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the way we help people who are experiencing your same struggle is to offer them stability. David says it this way in Psalm 40, verse 2. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud, and out of the mire. And he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I want to stand in a firm place. And I need to help others who are going through a dark season know that Jesus is the firm place to stand when you're going through a hard time because he understands he was there too. Second way that we can help people who are experiencing our same struggle is to offer them support. First, we offer them stability, a solid place to stand, but we also offer them support. The second part of that statement that Jesus made is today you will be with me. As the son of God assured another fellow sufferer in the middle of his own agony, he not only comforted the person with the promise of eternal life, he met him in the today of his struggle. He didn't say, I'm, I'm not just gonna encourage you, I'm gonna go with you on this journey. There was an immediacy to the help that he offered. Today, you will be with me. I will be with you on this journey in your darkest hours. Church, can I just encourage you with something? One of the best ways we can support and help people who are going through a dark night is to not offer them trite answers to very hard and complex, difficult situations. Sometimes the best thing you can do to help someone who's in a dark season is to sit with them in their pain. Don't say anything. Just cry with them. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't always feel like you've got to offer some, you know, quick, easy answer for this problem that they're going through because chances are you might hurt them more than, you're, than you actually help them. Just be with them in the middle of their pain. There might be some people here today who would say, you know what, pastor, that sounds great, but I'm in the middle of my darkest hour right now and I feel alone. And as the pastor here, I don't know that anything else breaks my heart more to know than there, that there are people here who haven't experienced the joy of being known more intimately in community with others. See, as, as a church grows, one of the challenges is for people to experience the blessings of friendship and community. You know, one of our values here at this church is that we want to belong and become with authenticity. And we can't become who Jesus wants us to become as his disciples until we experience that sense of belonging within his body. And so if 
you're here today and you've not yet experienced the fun of being in a life group, I wanna encourage you, I wanna plead with you to consider staying after the service at one o'clock, we're having our Connect event today where we're gonna launch new groups for people who aren't yet in a life group to join one so that they can experience, listen, this matters more than you know. Prioritizing and pursuing authentic community matters because when you're surrounded by people in a circle, because circles are better than rows, we've got to step out of our rows that we sit in on Sundays and into a circle where we can be face-to-face with other people who are going to help us survive the lows. It matters. So I would challenge you and ask you to stay for the Connect event at 1 o'clock today. We'll feed you lunch but I don't want anyone here to go through this life feeling like they're in it alone because you're not alone. When we prioritize being with people, it's not just a cute phrase and saying that we, that we use all the time, but you really can't grow spiritually. So many people want to get closer to God, but they think they can do it by themselves. I'll just watch Christian TV. I, you know, I've got church hurt. I've been to, you know, all sorts of churches and they're all the same. They're all dysfunctional. Listen, there are no perfect churches because they're full of people and there are no, there are no perfect people, right? We're, we're not perfect either. We're gonna mess up. We'll eventually disappoint some of you, not on purpose, but because we're flawed, we're human. We're just trying to do our best to point as many people as we can to Jesus. But you cannot grow spiritually if you remain isolated and alone. You've gotta surround yourself with people who are gonna have your back. I love the way Solomon writes it in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 12 when he says that a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Listen, if you try to do life alone, you are prime picking for the enemy. It says in the New Testament that the enemy prowls all around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He waits and looks for people who are easy prey. And if you are isolated and alone, you are easy prey. If you are alone, you can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Let me ask you a question. When you're under attack and you will face attack in this life, who's going to have your back? Two can send back to back and conquer. And three are even better. The Bible says that small groups are better. Right? For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I just want to encourage you to take that step. I promise you, you won't regret, regret it. Listen, and it's just, if you come today, you're not signing your life away. You're not committing to anything long-term. It's just an opportunity for you to get your feet wet and test the waters of community and see if it's not something that, you know, you would by the end of, you know, the first four or five weeks decide that, you know what, this really is what's been missing from my life and want to continue pursuing it. Because at the end of the day, as your pastor, I can preach great sermons. I can point you to Jesus, but, you know, Ultimately, it boils down to a decision that you have to make. Acts chapter 2 said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. There was an element of personal responsibility that the early church took upon themselves. They devoted themselves to breaking of bread and prayer. They gathered in people's homes, and it's on you to devote yourself to pursue community. Listen, your darkest hours will not break you if you have people who will have your back. So we offer them stability. We offer them support. And the last thing we do is we offer them salvation. The last part that Jesus said was, today you will be with me 
in paradise. And is there anything more comforting to know when you're in the midst of your darkest hour to have the promise of paradise, to have the promise of heaven? Jesus offered the thief on the cross next to him who was experiencing the same thing that Jesus was. The promise that what he was experiencing in that moment was not all that there was. That this life is not the be all end all. There is a better place that we can look forward to that brings comfort when we're in pain. Because a lot of times we feel like God is obligated to fix things when we're in the midst of our darkest hour. That on this side of eternity, God is somehow obligated to make all of our problems go away. And then when he doesn't, we mistake his silence for his absence and we get offended at God. And some people walk away from the church because God, you weren't there for me. But listen, we've got to shift our perspective a little bit and realize that this life is just, James says, we're a mist and a vapor that's here and then gone. But when you realize that eternity, like our life in light of eternity, your pain that you're experiencing, your dark hour is like this. And then there's all of this time in eternity that there is a better place that he offers. That's what Jesus did to the thief on the cross next to him. And it's what he did for his disciples as well. You know, about 12 hours before he said this, Jesus was sitting at a table in an upper room with his disciples, sharing a final meal with them, which we know today as the Lord's Supper. And he says in John 14, 12, I want you to look at it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And he said this knowing that they were about to experience some things in the next 12 to 72 hours that would trouble their hearts. They wouldn't understand everything that they would witness as Jesus would be arrested and then crucified and then die. And they would be left questioning, God, did we get it wrong? We thought you were like the one, but you're dead. And I'm telling you right now, nobody expected him to come back. They experienced their own dark night of the soul. And as Jesus was about to go through more pain and suffering than was humanly possible to imagine, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here's the hope. For in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I am going to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled when you experience all these things. Just know that when I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Listen, if you're going through a dark night of the soul, I'll be the first one to stand with you and agree with you in prayer for God to intervene in your situation because I believe that just like we sang earlier today, I've seen him do it before and I believe he'll do it again. God can move mountains. I believe God can just still do miracles today. I've been reading through Acts. I've been reading through Acts in my personal devotional time and my heart is just so stirred. I want to see miracles today. Jesus said, these signs will follow those that believe. I want to see miracles in our church. I want to see people healed of cancer. But listen to me. If you're in a season where God has not answered your prayer, I have a better hope for you than just an immediate divine intervention. And that's that there is an ultimate final rest from the suffering that you're in. It's the hope of eternity with Jesus Christ. 
that he offers a better place where there will be no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain, no more cancer. He will wipe away every single tear from our eye as we get to spend the rest of eternity in his presence. The best way we can help people who are experiencing our same struggle on top of offering them stability and a solid place to stand, pointing them to the God who never changes and being a support to them today in the midst of their pain, being with them is to offer them the promise of eternal life through salvation in Jesus Christ. Church, would you bow your heads and pray with me today? Father, I pray right now for your people here today, some of whom might be in their own, their own dark night of the soul. Lord, would you help us to know that you offer more than a better now. You offer a better place. I thank you, Jesus, that in the midst of your own pain, you were aware of a fellow struggler suffering next to you. You weren't just focused on your own pain. You looked beside you to someone experiencing the same pain you were, and you offered them hope. God, may we be a church that even in our own suffering, even in our own dark seasons, God, may we be aware of those around us who are saying, hey, remember me? Remember me, I I need help. God, would you help us to be an extension of your love, of your hands and your feet to the world around us who are suffering? And as we give ourselves on behalf of others, Lord, may we see our dark night turn into the noonday sun as you take up our case, as you start to meet our needs. Perhaps you're here today and you're someone who's never experienced that third point of salvation. Paul said in Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Being born again is not some weird thing. It's simply deciding in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was, the son of God who had to pay the price for the sin of mankind by dying on the cross but then rising from the dead three days later and confessing with your mouth that he is the leader and Lord of your life and surrendering to him. And if you're here today in need of that salvation and you wanna have the promise and the hope of eternal life with him someday, then with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm simply gonna ask to raise your hand here today. If that's you and you wanna receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus came to purchase for you by dying on the cross, and you wanna receive that forgiveness, would you just raise your hand here today? We're gonna pray. I see that hand up here in the middle. Anybody else? That hand over here on the right. Praise God, there's one over here on the left towards the back. That's why we're here, church. Those of you that are followers of Jesus, just pray in this moment for the Holy Spirit to draw those who are far from him to open their hearts and receive God's free gift of forgiveness. One last time, is there anybody else here that wants to invite Jesus Christ to come in and live in their hearts? to know that they will get to live forever with him someday. I see that hand up here. Well, church, would you join me in praying with those who are saying yes to Jesus and asking for him to come in and live in their hearts. Say, Heavenly Father,
Thank you for loving me enough to send your son who would die for me. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness for my sin because I am a sinner. Lord, would you wash me, cleanse me, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't want to go through this life without you. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. Now help me to give my life on behalf of others so that they might see you in me. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Church, would you put your hands together and make some noise to welcome those born into God's family today?